Hello and welcome to Escape Pod, Escape Technologies podcast series where we discuss the leading technology issues facing content creation studios today. This week we're talking about the cloud and how studios are best able to take advantage of the seemingly infinite resources available to them. Whether you want to control cloud costs, collaborate globally or scale out your infrastructure, the cloud poses a multitude of questions and as usual I'll need some special guests in order to answer them. I'm joined by Lee Danskin our CTO, and Nick Matthews, our Business Development Director. We'll also be focusing on Escape's own cloud resource management tool, Sherpa, and how this can answer many of the opening questions I've posed there. So what is Sherpa, Lee? Can you tell me a bit more about the application and, and, and what it does? So Sherpa primarily is a cloud resource management tool. It's a, a real simple way of generating infrastructure in a cloud. Okay, so it's an independent application or software or it's an API. How, how would you categorize it in that regard? We developed it as an API. So the idea is, is that we can be essentially cloud agnostic. So if you wanted to use your own cloud, you could use AWS. And in the future, hopefully we'll support Azure and, and Google. At the minute, we're primarily on-prem or AWS based. Okay, so at the moment, it's a tool that, that allows you to manage resources that are either your own or are in a remote cloud within AWS, but only AWS? Currently, AWS uh, it is OpenStack compliant, so we can do you know certain amounts of stuff with just private cloud. But yeah, primarily at the moment, AWS. Um, and that API allows us to essentially very simply and easily configure any type of resource that AWS offers. Okay, so Nick, could you give me a little bit of insight into why Escape chose to develop Sherpa? You know, what were you seeing in the uh, in the marketplace? What were you seeing there that that meant that Escape needed a tool like this? There was a growing interest and awareness across this industry and and further afield in cloud capabilities, the ability to access resource and compute power greater than what you could support on-premise. Yeah. However, all the systems to deliver that required some really quite complex engineering solutions. So very large, direct, connected internet straight into the cloud service provider, expensive and very complicated storage platforms, uh, and lots of very specialist, advanced engineering capability to make use of it. So aside from the larger studios who already had the capability to deliver this kind of workflow, we saw a greater demand and inquiries from mid-size and boutique studios who, who wanted to be able to burst in the same fashion, but needed a, a much simpler all-in-one solution, something that was a push-button solution available to them without having to build it that would allow them to leverage these capabilities. So we really what we're talking about here is eradicating complexity. I mean, it's not it's not actually technically that easy, is it, to spin up a, an infrastructure from scratch in, in any of the, the major CSPs. Lee, could you expand upon that a little bit? I mean, if, if a studio that has concluded that they don't want to use a, a, one of the many push-button type solutions that exist out there, if, if that for whatever reason isn't sufficient because they want to have more granular control over what they do, and, and want to spin up something from scratch, what challenges are they facing in terms of uh, trying to trying to put that put that forward? There's a there's a myriad of services. You know, if you look at someone, all the cloud providers have got thousands of services they offer, and they've got numerous different storage capabilities within each one. And and 
even just picking something as simple as getting the right storage infrastructure within the cloud provider that you want is, is tough enough. But you've got networking issues, security issues, how, how you're going to get a desktop back to your on-prem. It can be quite confusing for most system admins to have the breadth and knowledge that are required. As Nick was saying, that you know, the bigger studios with armies of engineers. Yeah, if you've exactly <laughs> yeah. that. You know, if you've yeah. got the you've got the storage guy, you've got the networking guy, yeah. you've got the security yeah. guy, you've got the desktop workstation guy. Each part of that puzzle is part of the problem in using a cloud. And that's where Sherpa comes in. It is designed as a point and click solution. I want our workstation job done. I want some storage job done. None of this complexity, all of that's taken away from you. You don't need to have that level of in-depth knowledge on how you're going to do encrypted data security from here, there, and everywhere. We've taken care of all the heavy lifting. All you're doing is consuming their services in a much more elegant fashion. Right. So in effect, you know, Sherpa and it being supported by your team is shouldering that complexity for the studio, basically. Exactly. I mean, people make games, make movies, make films, make things. They don't want to be making a data center in the cloud. No, no, understood. And I mean, Nick, this is pretty common for you, isn't it? I think you deal with a large number of studios who are in what we'd call the mid, the middle-sized tier, you know, where you might have a, a single or maybe a pair of engineers that are required to sort of cover the entire infrastructure of that company from, you know, desktop right through the storage network a lot, really. Absolutely. I mean, it's there's only a, a few studios out there, really, who can have a large enough department to be able to dedicate the resource to looking into this kind of complex solution. And you're absolutely right. The majority of studios, if they have an engineer at all, they've probably only got one who's going to be more than occupied with the existing demands already. And to try and start out from scratch and build something that allows you to delve into this very complex world just isn't feasible. It's really yeah. tough, I think, when you add in the maintenance of that sort of stuff as well. You're trying to maintain an ongoing even just making a simple image for a virtual machine and updating the software, constantly maintaining this. It's not something that you want your engineers to be doing day in, day out. It should just be taken care of by an orchestration system and an imaging system working in tandem, which allows people to generate that workflow and the content a little bit easier. You know, you don't need armies of engineers to try and make that happen. Sherpa's taking that load off of you. I mean, also, I think, I don't know what you guys think about this, but I don't think it's particularly easy to understand if you dive into the AWS website and are looking to develop or spin up an infrastructure. The the language or the, the classifications that they use for different instances for, for cloud compute and other resources, it's not easy to immediately understand what those things are. I don't think they necessarily mirror the sorts of language that we use more generally in technology, don't you think? The myriad of services, like I said, I mean, Amazon's got 1,500 different services that they can offer and <laughs> utilize. Yeah. And that's, that's a minefield already. And it's like, you know, I just want a computer. Yeah, well, in, in Amazon's world, that's that's quite a big statement to make. They're, I just want some storage. The language has evolved in the cloud. And in some respects, a lot of uh, on-premise facilities are actually playing catch-up with cloud providers, uh, object stores versus block storage or file systems. They've, they've got a lot of unique technology that we can utilize and take advantage of in different ways than we've had up until now. But like you say, it's, it's a minefield of just jargon and stuff that we're just not used to. Speaking of jargon and a minefield, you've, you've gone ob object store and file system there. Within oh, the yeah. Minutes, so we'll, we'll, have to, we'll have to come back to that. that that's, but, um, a, that's for another time. I see where you're going. I mean, it's, yeah. it's language is important here, I think, to, to translate 
what's presented as a specific instance of compute in AWS or in Google and translate that into something meaningful for a studio who want to render a job, that's something you're doing, right? Exactly. And and, and trying to make that as, as simple as possible, whether it's burst render, what we would call cloud render, or, you know, born in, born in the cloud, you know, the whole thing's there. Workstation storage render, the whole thing. Uh, at what stage are you as a company? How far do you want to go? Why have the push button, fire and forget type render solutions or cloud storage companies why aren't they working for you? Normally, it's, you know, your pipeline's just getting that little bit complex or you've got certain versions of software that you want to utilize. And and that's where, you know, just keeping it simpler for people to understand makes life so much easier for them. Yeah, there's, there's quite a few things there to unpick, actually, that you just mentioned. I think, Nick, Lee touched upon a few terms there, burst render, born in the cloud. Uh, and obviously, I think with your experience across the, the VFX industry, could you just sort of explain a little bit about those different colloquialisms, I suppose they are really, in terms of when you're encountering a, a studio that wants to utilise cloud resources? Uh, yes, there, there was one thing, just to touch on the point Lee was making there earlier. The capability that exists out there is similar to the capability that might exist on-premise without a GUI. And, you know, you could you could have all the, all the render nodes and all the computers in the world. And if someone wasn't conversant with the operating system, you know, most people use Windows. If you had to just go in and, and type everything as a, in the command line, that would probably put a lot of machines out of the average artist and some engineers' usability spectrum. And Sherpa distills all of that and puts it in, into a very simple user interface where at the click of a button in understandable, straightforward, universal language, you can say, add additional workstation, add additional render node, turn on and off at this time, instead of having to do everything as sort of forward slash, I can't speak code, but whatever that would be. Yeah, that's an interesting point you mentioned, actually. I mean, you could have any number of machines in your own building, and if there was a, an opacity to that and no way of easily dialing in and deploying them or controlling them, it would be as baffling as, as cloud resources, wouldn't it, fundamentally? Exactly. So it's it's taken all of that complexity and, and all of that potential capability and distilled it into a very easy-to-use, click-button, recognisable and simple user interface. Yeah, and you touched on something else interesting there. I mean, you mentioned turning it on and off at the time that you choose, which sounds um, prosaic, but actually is critical, really, isn't it, to production in terms of if you're I mean, what what, are you, what have what have been your discussions with um, with studios in that regard? Because obviously, one of the challenges is once you've you know spun up an infrastructure in the cloud, it's there, and effectively the meter's running. So having some control over how you administer it. I mean, are your conversations as much with producers and people that are running jobs as they are with sort of full-on engineers? Absolutely. It tends to split between companies, uh, but often it will be a producer who is leading the conversation. In certain companies, it, it might be the engineer or a combination of both. But very early on, I certainly realised that it was a, an absolute requirement that it, we had to be able to turn the resource on and off because many people had learned to their great expense that it's very easy or relatively easy to turn on cloud compute. It's not necessarily so easy to turn off. And there's there's many a tale from from around town of artists and engineers who, who turned resources on and left them running for an entire weekend, for example, and a five-figure bill materialised at the end of the job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'll I have mean... 200 render nodes running for... 
48 hours, please. Yes, and 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 Sherpa has you know a, a control button fundamentally within it to control that, doesn't it, Lee? I mean, you 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 can you can eradicate that problem, right? Uh, we, we've gone to the nth degree to make it as cost effective as possible. If you want, you can have machines start in the morning, stop for lunch, and finish in the evening. The whole infrastructure can be on as minimal as you require it to be to make it as cost effective as possible. We've got some very nice integrated plugins for Deadline. Uh, which is obviously now free in Amazon, um, which allow us to automatically start render nodes on the submission of a job and complete and finish those render nodes when the job's finished. So you are absolutely minimizing wherever possible the cost element that you can on any of the projects that we run within Sherpa. And, and scheduling is one of the key parts of it. And again, a minefield to set up manually, but when it's just a sh it's Funnily enough, called a schedule in Sherpa, and all it is is a when it when do you want them to start? When do you want them to stop? It's very very straightforward. Again, keep it simple, as they say, and everybody works with it. So, yeah, we've got numerous ways where we're always trying to track those costs, and not only that, but real world costs, not per CPU per minute per day of the week, whatever. Trying to then do the maths on what that is actually going to cost me. We just give you real world costs of what that will be. So again, another another simple solution to what can be a complex problem. Yeah, and of course, this speaks to the the, the huge difference in terms of the way that you are, uh, or the way that you you consume cost for for cloud compute. I mean, it's it's fine leaving all of your infrastructure on and it being persistent if you've paid for it all up front and done a three year deal on that. But if you've if you're consuming it on demand, which is pretty much always what cloud is. Uh, or certainly in terms of public cloud providers, then then it's critical that you have that you have control over that. So that leads me on to another question, really, guys. I think there are obviously quite a, a number of push button solute, what I would call push button solutions out there, particularly for burst render, less so for perhaps for workstations. The things that leap to mind are Google's Inc, Rebus for render, that kind of um, green button, that kind of. Uh, a solution. Why would you counsel a studio not to use one of those? What is Sherpa going to give a studio, a content creation studio, that that those solutions are not able to provide? So, so all of the solutions that you've mentioned there, Jason, are essentially just aimed at render. We can utilize Sherpa for any other part of the process or your pipeline that you're wanting to use. Right. Okay. And, and what about storage. customers yes. and software and anything else? Obviously, Absolutely. the more you need uh, you control know, over it, your own it, pipeline, all parts of Sherpa, you can have a complete view, functioning want studio in the cloud that is utilizing more customizable or extensible like Sherpa. Push button solution, um, is it a bring your own licenses scenario with Sherpa or, or are Sherpa providing, say, VRA or whatever? How does that part of it work? So we've got a few approaches there that we can do. The simplest one is just bring your everything with Adobe or a desk now, you want subscription model having that essentially signing and a login so no different to what you would do on a local workstation can run in the cloud um, we've got agreements with certain companies like chaos group so we can do v-ray licensing straight through sherpa but also we do have the uh, licensing through aws thinkbox um, and the licensing that they offer so nuke render licensing and all that so there's multiple multiple options there and we often have multiple solutions to that problem we've got some customers who are running their own license server in Sherpa and, and assigning licenses to that. So we, we can carve that that problem up dependent on what software you're using and how you wish to use it. Okay, and Nick, what's, it, what's your experience been with the, you know, the, the Sherpa 
the Sherpa users that you've you've had so far? I mean, how have they approached the licensing um, situation? Has it generally been that they've brought their own licenses? There's been a number of approaches. Uh, you could use your existing on-premise licenses and VPN back to that server. You could purchase or rent licenses and deploy these in a, a virtual server in the cloud that we could set up for you for the minimum term, for example, a month from, from Autodesk. Or we've had situations where people have had their licenses recut to another server to be used specifically for cloud-based projects. As Where does... Um... Lee, where does bandwidth come into all of this? Because obviously any use of a remote infrastructure that is outside the building where the, the artists are located, bandwidth becomes a component that we need to talk about. How does Sherpa contend with that? Bandwidth's one of those awkward discussions. And it, when we're sort of dealing with home user bandwidth, obviously each home user has their own level of requirements that they've bought um, and, and we can handle most situations with home bandwidth the big trick is to get the data into the cloud so the only thing we're ever moving is the pixels that that means it, it can keep things a lot simpler in that way we're not transferring data in and out we're not getting large egress it just makes things a lot lot simpler so the smallest amount of data that we can move these days are the pixels of the screen uh, and yes that comes with a cost but not as much cost as trying to put massive pipes in to move data in and out of the cloud all day long Sure, sure. And and in terms of talking about moving pixels, that immediately makes me think of remote workstation technology. I mean, is Teradici or RGS being used within the Sherpa stack? Both both are options to us. We primarily utilize Teradici within uh, Sherpa as it's got some great technology in there now that allows us to do 4K screens straight out of Sherpa. Uh, and we've done that. Um, we've got people who've been editing 5K footage out of the cloud and, and very successfully. You know, bandwidth is, is a much more elegant way of doing it with something like Sherpa that can actually manage that whole in and out of the cloud. When we start talking about data movement, there are products out there that enable that. So uh, something like Pixits Ingenia or something like Weka or something like that, that we could utilize to move data from on-prem to the cloud. How we handle that bandwidth it really depends on how you're getting your rushes delivered or we could run Aspira straight out of the cloud. You know, there's lots and lots of benefits to actually utilizing uh, Sherpa from a bandwidth point of view. But we are still beholden at the end of the day to a home user's internet connection. Right. OK. I mean, some of the things you mentioned there touch on the uh, our favorite old phrase, hybrid um <laughs> yep. you know which 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 takes multiple forms really um i just want to sort of dive into this particular aspect a little bit with both of you so you know we've we've got this concept of of born in the cloud which supposes that all of the infrastructure is cloud hosted uh and you know you're not trying to bridge the gap between that and a an on premise architecture um, and then what people generally mean by hybrid is that you you have an on-premise infrastructure and to some extent you're then you know you're you're extending that into into the cloud in order to to expand the capability can sherpa do both of those things kind of relatively easily it, it can absolutely i mean we we can take sherpa as far or you know as far as you want to go we started with born in the cloud purely because most people's infrastructure on prem is unique to each customer that we talk to yeah. uh, uh, you know and that's 
we 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 just we, we first thought that hybrid would always be the way forward and and to a degree it is but once you've actually gone through that initial barrier of right okay my data is in the cloud once it's there it actually makes life a lot easier for you it's the constant pushing and pulling of data from a hybrid that makes life more interesting but obviously we can do that full-blown workflow and we've got customers that we're doing that with and i mean nick if you, with your experience with sherpa and, and vfx studio so far has that been predominantly born in the cloud or, or have you also been delivering it in a hybrid form there's been a few different approaches. Certain circumstances have made it very applicable to do a born-in-the-cloud type solution. If there was, for example, a, a project that needed to be self-contained or run separately from a main project or, or a main piece of storage on-premise, Sherpa is an ideal fit for that. You can you can spin up storage workstation and, and render. That could be a security-driven thing when a particularly sensitive project uh, that needs to be kept away from, from the main storage or it may overcome geographical limitations. For example, creatives, artists, producers, all in separate geographical locations, and it allows people to, to collaborate uh, and remove any sort of restrictions based on a, on a single office, a single piece of infrastructure. And it has come into its own in recent times uh, when, when people aren't necessarily able to access their on-premise infrastructure it's allowed people to, to have a very scalable resource that can be used from each individual artist's uh, home location and doesn't rely on anybody having to go in and, and administer the physical hardware on premise i see and I, I guess the ball in the cloud approach can it be a, a, a nice shortcut to to the bandwidth problem which is to say that if you haven't got great bandwidth for a studio or a domestic location, if everything's in the cloud, then it isn't really moving anywhere. Am I right? Exactly right. So, Nick, picking up on that then, presumably Sherpa can have a, a sort of a, a great levelling effect potentially in that it can give much smaller customers access to a much larger infrastructure. Do you foresee with some of the conversations you're having that that might allow some smaller studios to sort of punch above their weight? I think democratizing is, is a good term to use there. And it's, it also has the potential to, to be disruptive as well. I mean, we've already spoken to um, a couple of our partners on other episodes of the podcast about this, haven't we, in terms of people being entirely, you know, running complete VFX jobs in the cloud. So I think we are, we are seeing that happen. Um, it, it absolutely gives, gives the capability for a, a smaller size studio to have a, access to a very large, you know, almost... I don't want to say infinitely scalable because everything is finite, but a very, very large uh, render farm, far greater than, than they could physically host in their own building or have the upfront investment to be able to buy. And in fact, we've seen a number of circumstances, and I think we will see it more in the future, where people are able to, to bid on jobs or, or have creative vision, that some restrained by their physical capabilities. I mean, I know that it will always balance out, but people often wouldn't take a job on because they knew they weren't able to deliver the scope or scale that was that was being requested. Whereas now somebody can very easily go in the Sherpa GUI, build an infrastructure large enough to, to deliver that job, see what it will cost them, build that into their response to the brief, and, and if they win the project, they know that they can deliver it. So yes, it, it has the very real capability to disrupt across the industry. And you know, I look forward to seeing the results of that over the coming years. I actually think that's 
quite an interesting point and 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 maybe a bigger point than than perhaps we realize what you've described there is technology influencing creativity in a slightly unexpected way i mean i remember years ago a really talented 3d artist saying to me that his work had gotten significantly better um as the tools had got better and he was particularly he was re he was referencing zbrush actually and its ability its ability to to sculpt things that he could do physically but hadn't previously been able to do digitally and in much the same way what you've just described there is that's quite a big deal isn't it i mean you're you're essentially saying that you know the the infinite resources available i mean they're infinite insofar as they a studio will probably run out of their budget before they'll run out of resources in the cloud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, one, 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 will, one will fall shorter than the other, almost certainly, I think. Um, but uh, that gives them the ability to conceive projects in a way creatively that they may have not been able to do before, which I think is a pretty empowering thing, actually, isn't it, for, for the use of the cloud? I think it is, absolutely. I mean, if you, if you were to compare it to, to building something physically, if you only had a, a small workforce and a limited access to to supplies or, or tools, you could only conceive something of a certain size. Whereas if you could, in theory, have in a thousand a thousand people, unlimited supplies, all the tools in the world you needed, you could conceive of of a very very large. I'm thinking of a set here, you know, on a film set, but. Whatever I was thinking building. of the pyramids for some reason. I don't oh, know there you go, the pyramids. Perfect. That'll, that'll do. <laughs> Maybe we can combine the two. A, a set of the pyramids will do. Well, exactly. Uh, but it, it really does. It, it allows people to to actively employ their imagination. And and as long as, as the company producing the project has the funds to, to underwrite that project, then that vision can be realised. So I think that creativity and, and the dynamism of the smaller companies can be employed and it unshackles them from the physical limitations of having to think how to actually set up and run and administer a very complex and costly uh, render infrastructure within their studio. Yes, I mean, I think um, we're unable to, to reference it directly, but I, I know of a very large um, visual effects studio uh, when speaking about a very complex film project, certainly said to us that they could not have rendered or delivered that job without the use of scalable cloud infrastructure. And it wasn't actually a question of, as it often is a question of money, but it wasn't a question of money in this case. It was more that to some extent with cloud resources, if you can get access to the to the cloud compute and parallelize the renders and have just many, many more nodes running, you can deliver a job in a time frame within which it wouldn't previously have been possible. It would have taken them twice as long to render the job. So I think certainly at the high end use of the cloud, um, cloud resources is, is enabling newer, more complex, uh, more extraordinary visual effects work to be delivered. Um, but, on, you know, bringing it back home a little bit to, to Sherpa, I mean, what we're really saying here is that Sherpa collapses a lot of that complexity for, for smaller studios that want to get into the cloud game fundamentally. Lee, do you have any thoughts about where Sherpa will go next? What have we, what have we learned about the tool set and where it needs to go next? That's a big question, but what we have been seeing is is that software installation and we've got a lovely orchestration system within Sherpa that allows us to essentially install software on demand approach to multiple machines. And that's that's very useful. Uh, and imaging is a very useful thing, but um, we, we're also looking at not having to install software for the future. So if anybody is aware of containerization or Docker and all these good things, uh, and, and perhaps I'll use another one, Kubernetes, then actually... Me. Ro this, rolling out the jargon there. This is it, a bit bit jargon heavy, but essentially the, the, the trick is, is to take a piece of software and wrap it in a container. And that means that it, 
essentially I don't have to install that piece of software ever again. I could just run it wherever it is. And, and that becomes quite powerful for us if we can start to offer sof- software that you don't need to install anymore. And that's... that's so that a, lot, a lightweight and agile deployment, essentially, is, is what... Exactly. Doing. At the minute, we're, yeah. we're still sort of taking what someone would do on-premise. Um, Building an image... Yeah, replicating that process in the cloud so that essentially it's as close to what, you know, again, trying to keep that shock factor of cloud workflows and trying to just keep it as simple as what you would do on-prem. So it's like for like. Everything that you do on-prem, you can do in Sherpa in the cloud. So it makes you feel comfortable, obvious. Pipeline TDs can get up to speed with it. Your artists understand how it's going to work and how it's going to function. But the next stage is to sort of abstract things like software installations out of the problem and start taking advantage of even faster deployment. I don't want to have to install my software anymore. Why would I want to do that if I could, at the click of a button, just run any version of Maya or at the click of a button, run any version of Nuke or whatever it might be? Then, you know, that that type of approach is where the future is for us. You know, we, we definitely have a roadmap of trying to make it quicker, easier, and and it's keeping the simplicity of all of the cloud functionality that is available, but putting it into a human form for for people to consume. Yeah, okay. And I mean, just picking up on your point there about replicating what you would do on-premise and the simplicity of that to a cloud deployment, um, and this is one for you, Nick. I mean, this is the, the filthy subject of money. But I mean, one of the potential barriers for cloud is that customers can perceive it to be expensive or they can perceive that the costs can run away with them very quickly. I mean, how are you and how is Sherpa managing that particular um, hurdle, as it were? Cloud does does have that underlying difference to, to an on-premise purchase, which typically, you know, you've the, the more you run your on-premise purchase, you know, the lower the perceived per hour cost of, of that device is. And yeah. a cloud deployment naturally is the opposite. Obviously, the more you use it, the more it costs. So a big part of the conversation is education and you know making people aware of that as a risk. If they're not aware of that, we put in safety features yeah. to make sure that the system turns on and off when they, when they want it to. And also to the realisation that there is only a, a finite number of working hours in a week. Even in a visual effects week, there is only a finite number of hours. And just to, to work accordingly against those. So the, the true cost, if looked at over a longer term view, the deployment of cloud resources actually tend to level out over time. If you look at a lot of companies doing a, a hardware refresh after three years, when viewed against just a, a continued and moderate usage of cloud, the, the costs actually start to, to converge after a while. Yeah, and speaking about the cost management sort of profile of a render job is is presumably far harder to uh, to manage than than a workstation. So if you know if a, if a studio wants to spin up twenty workstations in the cloud for a temporary um, temporary workflow, that's you know generally that's going to conform to as I think Nick touched on is going to conform to a, a regular working day, you know, kind of hours per day sort of structure. But of course with render, it's a little bit of test and see, isn't it? In the sense that you know how long are those frames going to take to render? How com- how complex are they, and so forth? I mean, there's presumably education wise, you've got to manage that process with the customer. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes around to there's there's places and render sites that try to offer you a calculator on how to work out what your rendering is going to be. Um, I mean, it's one of those ones where 
understanding what it is that you're rendering, how many frames it is, and what your minimum frame time is. With some simple maths, you can very quickly establish all of what those requirements are to actually establish you know, how long it is. And, and as you say, it's a moving target. It's like if I'm doing a big furry character and suddenly it's 1500 frames long, you know, I'm doing a 60 second commercial and at frame 750, he decides to have his head full screen with motion blur and everything else. That, that, that one frame might be four times, five times longer than all the other frames put together, which kind of often breaks those calculator type things. So it's having a, a knowledge and an understanding of how those renders put together it throws the emphasis back on the pipeline, though, doesn't it? Because actually, if you if you know if, if that frame you you mentioned there that you referenced, which is significantly more complex and takes longer to render, if that's on an infrastructure that you've already paid for over three years up front, then however much more rendering you do for that frame, you don't really care. But actually, if you're paying per frame for that spike in that job, then it is an issue. So it throws it back onto I think really good on your part, really good pipeline guidance, doesn't it, in terms of how that job's put together in the first place. Absolutely. I mean, it does focus the mind a little bit, you know, on just simple things like getting the textures in. Why convert, again, the same thing on multiple machines? In an ideal world, as, as Nick pointed out, running Linux in the cloud is way, way cheaper than running Windows, and it's more efficient. And if you can get down to just running Arnold and the scene and not having any of the DCC packages sitting above it, like Maya Max, whichever one you take your pick of, you'll instantly get some massive performance benefits by doing that. Uh, and, and those performance benefits generally save you money. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And it's a change of culture, isn't it, in terms of the way that jobs are approached from a, from a rendering point of view. Well, I think that's about all we have time for. Thank you to both of you for your insights uh, and thank you for listening. If you have any uh, interest in, in the technology we've been discussing or want to know more about Sherpa or, uh, or cloud resource management of any kind, please check the links below. Other than that, it's just uh, suffices to say thank you, good afternoon, and we hope you listen in next time. Bye.